It's Super Cards and Shuffleboard. Sports excitement in the outdated wrestling hour. Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Welcome back. This is the Outdated Wrestling Hour. I'm your humble host, Bob Smith. God, what a boring name. <laughs> Not much of I come. My parents have named me Bartholomew or something. You know, it's just Bob Smith. Oh. You ever heard George Carlin's bit about names and dating? <laughs> I won't say anything more than that. But anyway, welcome back to the Outdated Wrestling Hour. We're glad to have you back. And today's show is about nothing but fun. Right? This is a F-U-N show. We're not going to talk about nothing serious, but we have a great guest, Anthony Pyrus, who you may remember from our trivia contest show. But he's been making the rounds of many different kinds of wrestling podcasts, and he's going to join us for a nice, upbeat discussion today. Just fun. If you If you don't remember, Anthony, Listen to this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Outdated Wrestling Hour, presented by Bob Smith, available on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify and iTunes among them. Bill Apter is a good friend. Bob invented the PWI 500. He played music with B.B. King. Stanley Weston was his former boss. And the magazines that Bob Smith presided over, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler, Various Quarterlies, and my name is Right. That was Anthony. Um, as I used it as our lead, our comedy lead for a recent podcast, and his spot on imitation of Joe McHugh, the old WWWF announcer, ring announcer, I should say. And uh, Anthony's got a million memories, and I got a million memories. And we're going we're to uh, contrast and compare in front of y'all. And I hope, I hope you're going to enjoy this. So you've heard, you've heard him before on the show a couple of times, and he's back, and we're going to have a lot of fun. We hope you have fun, too. But you're going to have to wait because we're going to have a little uh, public service announcement here, and then we're going to get on to uh, the great Anthony Pyrus. So as soon as you hear this 30 seconds of hype, then you're going to hear Anthony and me. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Wrestling Fans International Association is back. That's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at the WFIA.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA1969. That, my friends, is an example of the humor and amazing creativity of one of the most amazing guys I've met since starting wrestling podcasting. He's all over the wrestling scene. He's probably the world's biggest New England Patriots fan. As I sit here talking to him now, he has a New York Yankees logo on a championship belt from WWE. He's got his fingers in more pies than Entman's. Ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Pyrus, welcome back. Oh, Bob Smith, it is a pleasure to talk to you. This is Joe McHugh. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Everything is hunky-dory around here, and we're really happy to have you back here. I'm so thrilled to be back here. Since the last time I was on your show, I cleaned up almost a clean sweep in the uh, Bob Smith's Outdated Wrestling Hour Trivia Contest. No offense, Liam Savage, I did beat you like a rented (laughs) mule. (laughs) Oh, poor, don't, don't do that to poor Liam. You know, he, he felt bad about, he thought he did so poorly. I thought he did great. I think he did just fine. Well, he, he this contest fun. was meant to be kind of challenging, as you recall. It was it was fun for me because I kicked copious amounts, copious amounts of butt. <laughs> Bob, it's a pleasure. Is, Bob, it's a pleasure to be here again. Thank you for having me. No problem, man. And uh, the reason I'm having you here is just you're a lot of fun. And I want to know more about you. Uh, I, I met you through the John and Rizzi podcast, and now you're here, and I want to, you to just tell people what you do in and around the wrestling business, and just uh, give yourself a good in introduction. A, How's that? Listen, Bob, in addition to being the single greatest husband and lover imaginable, <laughs> I am an amazing I am an amazing father, but more importantly, I am the host of... Luckily, Corey Strobe probably won't hear this, but I am the host of the PWInsiderElite.com AEW post-show party on PW Insider every Wednesday night about midnight. Uh, my buddy and my, my buddy and myself, Corey Strode, we, we break down dynamite each and every week going on four years now. Um, we actually have our own t-shirt now on ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, I am a regular contributor to uh, Conrad Thompson's Top Guys on AdFreeShows.com. I'm at, I'm at almost all of his Zoom calls, and you've seen a lot of my Facebook posts and my pictures. Um, I am one of those guys that got into wrestling at seven and a half years old and never broke out of it in any way, shape, or form. I've mm-hmm. never wavered my fandom, so... Uh, and I was the biggest collector of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine during the 80s and 90s. Well, you're a genius. <laughs> no, but, but uh, yeah, and I appreciated the guys back then, too, believe me. You put, you put bologna on my table, we'll put it that way. So I appreciate that. Um, Proud to do it. So uh, you have never wavered in your wrestling fandom at all. Never. Never. Uh, if, you go, if, if, you go, if, if you go back to 1988... When I first started having pay-per-view parties in my basement, 
there was about eight or nine of us. All of them in some way, shape, or form still keep up today through me, but they've all faltered as big fans. I never have. I absolutely never have. I'm proud to say I have seen every single WWE, Jim Crockett Promotions, WCW, and AEW pay-per-views. Maybe not live all of them, but I've seen them all within the first week or two they were out. Awesome. Uh, let me ask you, uh, you know, I'm older than many kinds of soil, but you're a little <laughs> younger than I am. But what is your p- favorite era? I mean, was it the first wrestling you ever saw? Because lately I've been real well, nostalgic for the stuff I saw when I was a wee tadpole, you know, the old Pedro Martinez, and the old triple WF. How about you? Do you have a favorite era? Well, I think I think everyone loves what they grew up on when they thought it was real. Right. So I I will say to myself the greatest era of my life was probably 81 to 85 because you got to bear in mind 81 to 85 was Andre the Giant, Bob Backlund, the early Hulk Hogan championship run, Roddy Piper and Georgia championship wrestling once my father finally stopped being a cheapskate and got cable. I was able to enjoy it. <laughs> Boy, you know something? You you bring back memories. I moved from upstate New York to Westchester. Oh, what year was this? Early 80s. And it was the first time I ever had access to TBS mm-hmm. and, you know, the NWA back then. Right. You know, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone on the list. And it felt like getting let out of jail. I always wanted to have access to the program, and I finally did. And you're right. When you finally see something new like that, it's like, boing, this is great. I was lucky because back around 82, my grandfather, who was a huge, ready for the story, Bob? My uh. grandfather, my grandparents on my mother's side saw with their own eyes a Stan Stasiak title defense. <laughs> really? Yep. They went to, there's a place, there was a place in North Attleboro, Massachusetts called Jack Witchie's Arena. I've heard and of it, the, right. The night before he lost the belt to San Martino, they were at Witchy's Arena, and they saw him defend. I think they told me he was going to Chief J. Strongbow, where Strongbow beat him on a disqualification. But they were one of the few, the proud, the many, that saw Stan Stasiak defend the WWF title. So, forward 12 years when I become a wrestling fan, my my grandfather already discovered world-class championship wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I was able to follow the Von Erichs from like 82 on. So it was incredible times, Bob. So I easily 81 to 85 was, I could tell you everything about that time. Sure. And you know what? That was a golden time too, because at that point later on, I was able to, you know, I was seeing world class. World class was on wherever I went. Even when I came to New York, I forget how I was seeing it, but it was definitely on cable. It's true. The cable era, which was right about then when it really started to get popular. um, All of a sudden you weren't stuck with your home territory anymore. You could watch WCW or Texas or the AWA or the ESPN or all that other stuff. And I'll tell you this, Bob, during 1983, I stopped watching WWE and only watched World Class because they had they had top matches. They had the Von Erics, who were the coolest guys in the world. Uh, rest in peace to all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they were amazing. 
But it wasn't until Hulk Hogan, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't until the Iron Sheik beat Bob Backlund that I got back into WWF. You know, because of the Iron Claw, I went and saw the film. Did you see it? Absolutely. Amazing. Um, Because of that, I went and dug up some old world-class, prime world-class video. And I'll tell you what, that organization had a flavor unlike anything else in the country. They were red hot with all the Von Erich brothers. I mean, it was major league. It was, it was my jam. I, when I was a, when I was a kid making championship belts out of construction paper, it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't the WWF title. It was the NWA title that I defended religiously against the Von Erichs. There you go. Hey, did you know at the Peter Bry offices we had, I think it was an inner office championship also made of cardboard? After had it most of the Bill- time. I, ne- I was never <laughs> able to win the championship. Bill, I, was, I wasn't even in the top 10. I, I don't know what I did wrong. I did a, I did a podcast, uh, not a po- I did a Zoom call with Bill After, who still has the office championship title belt. It's in yes, Actors Alley. It's in mm-hmm. Actors Alley. He showed it to all of us. Mm hmm. Yeah, Bill's one of a kind, and he's something else. Uh, still out there doing it too, covering stuff here and there and everywhere. He's an amazing guy. I love, I love Bill. Bill getting to know Bill was such a thrill back in those days. I, I you know, I don't talk about that enough. Bill Apter was the backbone of that company, and well, he, without him, that, there would be no Peter Roy. I'll tell you that they right don't, now. They don't call them the Western, the Western Mags. They're the Apter Mags, right? Right. Because he was just the face. He was the he was the guy we identified with. Bill Apter was the guy we all wanted to be. He was at ringside with the camera. He was interviewing people on TBS. Mm-hmm, yeah. He was he was the guy. We he was writing about it. You know what? People a lot of my friends, they wanted to be Dan Marino. <laughs> they wanted to be Reggie. I wanted to be Bill Apter. I wanted to be at ringside. <laughs> well, I always I always tell the story too about getting the job. What a fluke, dude. I mean, hmm. I, uh, you know who got me the job at PWR is Mike Tyson, because I wrote an article about Mike Tyson in my hometown that won a major journalism award. And what better fodder do you give a wrestling and boxing magazine company than an award-winning article and a resume, right? So right, right, I right. think Mike Tyson literally made my career in terms of sports. You know, it, it opened last- up doors for me all over the place. What was the last time you talked to him? Mike? Yeah. This is a funny story. I ran him into him. I ran into him in Manhattan. I was just walking down the street and he's walking the other direction. And I go, Mike, he goes, Bob. I mean, you got to remember in my first newspaper. Um, it was right across from the Catskill Boxing Club, which was over the police station on Main Street in Catskill, New York. Right. I could wander in and that at any time I wanted. And to me, the greatest memory I have of any sport was just going in and watching him work out. He was an incredible athlete. And so I see him in, in Manhattan. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, well, you know, I live here. I live in New York City now. And we talked and we hugged. And then we, I turn around. And there's about 250 people in a circle around us. He says, I better go. I said, I understand why. See you soon. That's the last my, I saw him. My father saw, like, his fifth pro fight in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, yeah, that he was, was the, out. The, the can, uh, Tomato Can of the Month Club, right? Remember he was fighting oh, every yeah, month? Oh, God. What yeah. he was knocking guys out in forty-five seconds. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. And later what... on, later on, I did get to see him at WrestleMania fourteen. So my father and I both saw Mike Tyson in person. 
One of my great sports thrills was covering one of his early fights at the Garden, sitting next to uh, all the press, all the guys that have written all the news. I'm sitting next to Sports Illustrated. I'm working for the Catskill Daily Mail. Sports Illustrated's over here, and the ring is over there. All the all the writers I've, I, I admired were in that building, seeing him and an undercard of, jeez, uh, I can't remember the fight now. What year? Oh, gosh. Hmm. That was a big boxing fan back in those days. 8485? Was it he the was Roberto, still... Roberto, the Roberto Duran? Oh God. I think you I think you're right. Can't God. remember the opponent. Roberto Duran beat the guy for the title and two days later the guy dies in a motorcycle accident. No, this wasn't that one. Okay. This was not you know definitely what, not that you, one. You know what I'm talking about though, right? Yes, yeah, but mm-hmm. I can't. I can't remember. Who the, geez, all I remember is the Tyson fight. You see how myopic I yeah. was because I was cover, oh, yeah. I was there to cover that. Primarily, Hell, my my father took me to see Hagler. Oh yeah. Oh Hagler. Are you, are you are you kidding me? And the guys from the paper went and saw Hagler Hearns on pay per view. Remember, you'd have to go close circuit to see that stuff. The greatest, sure. one of the great sporting events. Even though I wasn't even there, just watching it, it was magical. All you kids out there, that fight's on YouTube. That was the greatest eight minutes of fighting you will yes. ever see in your life. No question about it. Oh, my gosh. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. You're right, Anthony, because those, those pe- people trained. were leaping out of their seats. They trained for six months for that fight. They had strategy. They had this. They had that. They had defense, offense. As soon as that bell rang, they threw a punch. They're like, oh, really? Is this what we're doing? Okay. It was just nothing. But action, right? That's what that's what I miss so much about boxing. That's yeah, what I miss that, so that's much. That's what you dream about in a boxing match that that started exactly like that. I've never seen a better match. I, I didn't care how long it went. It, that first round made the whole doggone thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, the second, third round weren't bad either. Great stuff. Great, yes. great, great, great stuff. I just remember never being. In any sporting event, amongst a more delirious crowd, mm-hmm. everybody was off the edge of their seats. It was just incredible. I mean, wow. I, I guess we had press passes for that. That's right. We had a press pass to see a closed circuit event, but um, I'm glad it happened because, jeez. It's when amazing. The- bo- it's amazing. Bo- I, know this, I know this is a wrestling podcast, but it's amazing what happened to the sport of boxing, isn't it? It is. It's just falling right off the cliff. Mm. You know. You know why we don't have a Mike Tyson now. Mm. We don't have a Muhammad Ali. We don't have a Joe Frazier. We don't have. You know. We don't have that heavyweight attraction that brings people out to see boxing. And um, I can't name the champions now. Can you? Uh, I know that Tyson Fury is your heavyweight champion of like. He has seven of the nine belts I recognize. So mm. doesn't matter. Yeah, I stepped away from that too. So, you know, what can I say? Well, in any event, um, back to wrestling. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. We're on a wrestling show. We're on a wrestling show. We better get back to it. Or we're going to have people switching off like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I just, I have a question. Um, we're going back to world class days, and this is a nostalgia podcast. Yeah, of course. Were you always an East Coast guy? Were you a WWF person? I discovered WWF in the spring of 81. On a rainy day when Saturday morning cartoons were over, I can tell you right now, Bob, the very first match I ever saw was on Championship Wrestling, presented by Joe McHugh. 
Andre the Giant, Tony Doria, and Rick Martel in a six-man tag team match. And from that day on, I was an East Coast WWF fan. And about a month later, oh my God, the Moondogs beat them for the tag team title, and I went absolutely in freaking insane. Okay, yeah. I go back to 72. Oh, well, I don't want to yeah, make I, you feel old. No, actually, that's the idea, I, the idea of this podcast is that people know I'm older than than potting soil, so it's like... It, it, it's, it's, yeah, but, you know, I got to see Fred Blassing work. Yeah, right. I got to I ne- see... I See, I got to see own, Don Leo Jonathan. I got to see Gorilla Monsoon. I got to see my early only memory Chief of, J. Strongbow. Early, let me only, tell you something. Yeah, go ahead. Early Chief J. Strongbow. People know him from the 80s. Oh, the blubbery Indian, and he was he was terrible. No, he wasn't. If you saw Strongbow between 72 when they reinvented him from Joe Scarpa to about 75, he was it. It. Well, in the he was number two baby face no matter who was champion. He was red friggin' hot. I, I always say he was the Jimmy Snook of his era. Like just but, just an eyelash below, below the championship type of guy. That was Strongbow. I'm telling you. When he went wild, he when, when he lost his yep. temper, it was something and did to the hold. Yes. I will tell you this right now. One of my er, my second earliest favorite tag team, Chief J and Jules Strongbow. Mm-hmm. Their feud with Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito was absolutely the bomb. And I rooted for them because Fuji and Saito, remember, ultimately beat Gurria and Martel for the tag team title. So when somebody stepped up to the plate to challenge them, I was all in. I freaking loved Chief J and Jules Strongbow. Mm-hmm. Now, Fuji Saito, I think they beat Gurria and Martel by throwing salt in Mar- Martel's eyes, if I recall. Do you remember that? I mean, Absolutely. it's a big, big handful of salt. Wham! Right in the face. Poor and Rick Martel. is losing his mind. Yeah, pure salt. Look at Martel. You know. But I remember December twenty sixth, nineteen eighty three, Providence Civic Center, Providence, Rhode Island. My dad took me to see the big rematch. Jay and Jules Strongbow. I'm sorry, Rick Martel, Tony Gurria against Fuji and Saito. Maybe the match wasn't as good as I remember, but there are things that, as a as a person, you never forget. And I was eight. I'm 51 right now, Bob. I remember <laughs> how good that match was, how excited. Bob, I cried when those dastardly Japanese heels beat Gurria and Martel in the rematch. It broke my heart. I believe it. And luckily, Bob Backlund beat Jesse Ventura later on in the in the main event. <laughs> well, back then the promoters had a way of not letting you walk away angry. You know, they they knew where their bread was buttered. Yep. You you will never see an old WWF event where all the heels won. Impossible. Never. You know, it, never. it didn't work that way. Well, never. I'm from, Even Al- t- I'm from the Albany area. Our, our local matches there. It was such a babyface territory up there in Albany. I, I mean, they were attacking. They were attacking the heels' cars and stuff like that for a while up there. It was they were serious good guy fans. That's what made the WWF WWF so different was the fact that you know back in in the territory days it was a heel territory. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have you'd have your Gino Hernandez's, your Tully Blanchard, your Buzz Sawyer's all winning the. Local titles so the babyface hero could chase them. In the Northeast, we worshipped 
San Martino, Morales, Backlund, and then Hogan before everything changed over. Mm-hmm. And you know who gets short shrift? And we talked about Tony Gurria. Tony Gurria was over. Oh, God, was he ever. Yeah. Was he ever. Yes, he was over. And I'll tell you what, I, I believe, at least in some cities, he was the first person to get a title shot against Graham. Oh, I yeah, know, yeah. I was there for one of those matches, yeah. Oh. Tell you what, he was up in my earliest days, and as I look back and watch the matches, he was the babyface in peril who would sell to get the hot tag to Martell. Now, this was five years after Graham was champ. Graham was champion, but I could absolutely see him being the top contender, the mm-hmm. guy who would challenge Graham for the title. I'll tell you what, could he sell? Who sold Boy, better than ever. Tony Gurria, right? Other than Ricky Morton, I don't think you're going to find anybody else. And I'll tell you what, I was around 72 when he first made his debut in the WWF. And I'll say this, I have never seen a bigger guy do a higher drop kick. Yep. He was in, yep. I, he gave up doing drop kicks after a while, but in the beginning, he was a drop kick specialist and he could get up there. He was quite the athlete. He really was. So he, he is crazily underrated in the eyes of history. He was a very good wrestler and he was over the whole time he was there. And by the way, that credit to that, I think he kept his job as an agent until he retired in like 2000, 2001. Yeah. He was a, yeah. he was a big, he was a big advocate. The McMahons were big advocates, is. Yes. Well, he, you know, he, a lifer, you know, he was a lifer mm. there. Um, I don't know if he came directly from Australia or, or, or if that's how it worked out. But he did travel the country, but he always came back to the WBF. So he's like, he was I, like seclusion, Danucci and other guys. They always came back wherever they went. As my, as Joe McHugh would say, from the Isle of and he never, he never, his face never broke. He just had that smug, arrogant. Yes, but you know what about face. Joe? You know what about Joe McHugh though? He always called him Baron Miguel Cicluna. Miguel, yes. When Which it was with a K. Yeah. yeah. And he, and I think it's to Mike's credit he never corrected him because <laughs> that went on for years. He called him Miguel. He, I only I only knew Baron Cicluna as a jobber. I only right. knew so you knew him as like a as a tag team champion. He, he a was a cha- tag team yeah. champion and and an actual title contender, and he actually won the the East Coast Tag Team Champion twice, if you count the old U.S. belts in 1966, and he won with Smasher Sloan. So he actually won that one, and in '72 he came back and teamed with Kid Curtis with a vicious tag team. You know, foreign objects akimbo. It was all over the place. No, he, he was better. Than, he was better than people. See, here's yeah. the problem: people only know what they see, and they see him losing on YouTube, and they think that's all he ever did, which is not true. He just decided to stay there. You know what the first? You know what the first live match I ever saw was? Tell me. The Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty, <laughs> losing to the unpredictable Johnny Rods. And Bob, I got to tell you something. After being a fan for about six months and seeing Rods lose on TV every week, I was freaked out that Rods won a match live in living color. One of the great mysteries in my wrestling life is why Johnny Rods never got a serious push. What Hmm. what did he ever do wrong? He was fantastic in the ring. In the 70s, he would have been, what a, oh God, what a contender he would have been. 
Yes, I don't understand. There's, cer- there's certain things about this sport I'll never understand. And when he is went he, to California as Javarook, he got a did, little bit of a push. But did um, did did do you think Johnny Rods fell into the trap of he was so good at getting people over that they couldn't put him over because he was so good at what he did? I think that he was looked upon. If he was happy doing what he was doing and knew his role and was happy with, let's say, the money and the lack of, you know, contendership, maybe it was just a mutual agreement that this is cool. I like doing it and I'll just keep going with it. I mean, he was there a long time. He was there since the 60s. And if you think about it, he trained trained Peter Sinurka, a.k.a. Taz. Right. And Taz's boy had one hell of a match last Wednesday against uh, Samoa Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't he train? He trained at Dudley's, too, I believe. Mm-hmm. At least one of them. Mm-hmm. Right? He trained uh, Bubba, Ray De- Bubba Ray Dudley. Right. And I think I think Devon went to him for, like, finishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's more. There's, I wish I had a list of the people he trained, because I know he's, he's probably responsible for 45, 50 people that – the, the fans know that they became named wrestlers. Now, Bob, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a modern day question. Uh oh. Who? No, serious question. Who are the guys and women, by the way? Because there are some amazing women out there. Yes, who there are. are some of the men and women who get you to tune in? Like, for example, let's say Anthony okay. Pyrus texts you. Let's say Anthony Pyrus texts you tomorrow or Wednesday on Dynamo or Tonight on Raw and says, "Hey, Bob, X." Is wrestling tuning right now? Who would that be? Rhea Ripley. God, I knew you'd say Rhea Ripley. I oh my god, uh, she's injured now, but Charlotte Flair. Yep. <sighs> Becky Lynch. These are these are my favorites. These are my favorite yep. current wrestlers. Um, Gunta. Oh, Gunta's great. Awesome. That's old school right there. He's yep. the last yep. of the old school. God, imagine the money he would have drawn with either Backler or Hogan back in the day. No kidding. Imagine the money he would have drawn. He is a monster. You having know what I always, him, having you know what I always met say him, he's, he's the nicest he's, guy. He's the new Killer Kowalski. Oh, Think about that for a minute. What a great, what a great, what a great comparison. I, I, I always think it every time I see him. He's the new Killer Kowalski. Kowalski was scientific but mean. It's the same with Gunther. My grandparents, my grandparents came over from Poland. They worshipped Kowalski. They really? worshipped him. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Why? Because he was such a mean guy. Because he was he was Polish. <laughs> he was Polish. He was Polish. Okay, fair enough. They came over no. from Poland. They came over from Poland. My grandfather went back and fought the Nazis, and they absolutely loved Killer Kowalski. There you go. I I never dreamed. When you and I were kids, people yep. went to wrestling to see their favorite stars yep. defeat the awful rule breakers. Right, right, right. Now, but you have to admit, now the kids go to wrestling, booking in their heads as they're watching. They're saying, this guy isn't being used properly. And mm-hmm. if they take a pin on TV, oh, you're, you're, you know, he's being buried and all this other stuff. The way people look at wrestling and wrestling fans look at wrestlers is entirely different. Than when you and I were kids. Here's a big change. About two months ago, I don't know if you follow. Do you follow AEW at all? Um, out of one eye, yes. 
Okay. Because I, they do a lot of stuff I don't agree with, but that's just me. All right. About three months ago, Swerve Strickland, who is a great talent, an amazing talent, he, bro- he broke into uh, – I'm doing <laughs> – I'm using air quotes. He broke into Adam Hangman Page's house and threatened his baby in the crib. That made him a bigger baby face to the AEW crowd. And back in the day, Mike, back in the day, man, that would have caused a riot. Me, me, 10-year-old Anthony would have been running to the, would have running to the uh, barricade to beat that guy up. Agreed. It's amazing what passes for a babyface now. That guy is more the guy is more popular than ever, having broken into a child's nursery and threatening a baby's life. I can't even. <laughs> I can't even imagine that being part of an angle. To be honest with you, I can't imagine. I, see, there's there's the thing. Boundaries get broken a lot. Well, you know, you now here's the deal. I'm, you know, I just had a wonderful young lady named Kimmy Sokol. I don't know if you know Kimmy, but she's. Yeah, I do know her. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. I think I think she's actually. Oh, Kimmy Sokol actually, I believe, covers Ring of Honor on PW Insider. Yes, that's true. That's exactly right. So I we and, had a discussion yep. about about things that I didn't agree with with modern wrestling, like the spots where, the aerial spots where guys standing on the top of the ring for like a minute and a half and other guys are standing with their arms in the air wow. waiting to catch him yep. for over 40 seconds. And yep. I said, you know, I, I, I expressed my distaste for that and she didn't understand why I was upset about that. You see what I mean? It's a difference in the generations and how wrestling has been presented. I yep. can't damn these kids for liking AEW because well, it's what they have. It's their oh, show. Yeah. That's right. their it's- show. It's the new generation show. A genera- it's a generation gap that I don't quite get, but God, you and I have both seen the modern product when these guys all stand, eight guys will stand there waiting for a guy to jump on them, and they and it's it's spectacular, and the guys that can jump off the top rope like that guy Commander, like mm-hmm. Elijo Del Vikingo, like Darby Allen, it looks spectacular, but it's God. It doesn't work for modern wrestling. In a lot of ways, doesn't work for me because it's not realistic. That's exactly right. The suspension of belief goes away very quickly, and that's the problem. Yep. First of all, we've had very broad characters that were just well ridiculous, and I'm not going to name any names. So that looks name like them. a show. Uh, it looks uh, like a show. Them. Name them. Name well, them. Come on. I, I am of the opinion, and I think he's a Hall of Famer and one of the great wrestlers of our time. But I honestly think the Undertaker character did more damage to pro wrestling than anything I can think of. Because, oh, God. Come on, because, because this was the first wrestling superstar to come on the air, and everything about him was absolutely fake. True. Okay. Or right, you see what I'm saying? It was a yes, fantasy character. You know, there were there were matches where they were, you know, buried alive matches and him dying in a coffin at one point and well, you know was, you know what I'm saying? It it was so I, so extreme in terms of fantasy characters as opposed to sporting event that I'm like, what's gonna Bob, happen next? How far can we stretch this stuff? I was in Providence. I was in Providence at the nineteen ninety four Royal Rumble where he ascended to the heavens. Right, exactly. That's what I'm talking and, about, yeah. Yeah. Let me say this. In the I will hand, not rest I, in peace. I will say this to you, Bob. In the hands of anybody else, 
The Undertaker was a one-year gimmick. Mark Calloway made it work. Can we at I least agree on that? I absolutely agree. I absolutely right. agree. And I like I love the American badass thing because that was yep. the that, the changeover I was waiting for. And that was but no, more, you're right. His work in the right. ring superseded any stupid thing they came up for him with him to do. Now, well, but but here's even, the deal, and here's another part that I thought was damaging. You're going to see that in the middle of a show, that casket match, right? Right, right, right. How can you take a championship match two matches later seriously after that? Well, that bear in mind that night that was the championship match, and I will t- I will tell you this. I will say this, having been in the building that night, the Providence Civic Center ate that up because we believed in the un- we believed in Mean Marcalis as a character, as a wrestler. We completely believed in what he was doing. The place, play, there was a sold out Providence Civic Center. Nobody booed. Nobody said this is stupid. We're like, oh my god, what the hell just happened? Right. If this was if this was Terry Taylor playing the Undertaker, we would have we would have probably <laughs> thought the way you did. Right. But that guy made it work completely. Let's. No, not, I won't get it. I, I won't get see, into the see, Undertaker the, versus. Yeah. But there's there's the thing. Strip away all the corny stuff they made him do. He was a fantastic yep. ring worker. Uh, oh, big and yeah. strong and tall and powerful and a, a, a rope walker and everything else. A unique presence no matter what his guise was. He's as good as anybody who ever stepped in the ring. I will not take that away from him. Not at and all. You, and if you told me that 1989 to 1990 Mean Mark was going to be an immortal wrestler, I'd say you're out of your freaking mind. The guy has nothing. The guy remember, has nothing. Yeah, I remember him in Memphis too. Well, I, I did, by the time he got to Memphis and Texas, it was they were they were off the syndicated. They were off the syndicated. Right. Shows. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So when he when when I saw him in WCW or NWA, it's like okay, he's a big guy with zero personality. When he walked out, and by the way, one of the biggest regrets of my life, bear in mind, I live in Rhode Island. Hartford, Connecticut is two hours away. I did not go to Survivor Series 90. God, I should have done that just to be at The Undertaker's first match. I would have absolutely eaten that up. Wow. You know, I was, uh, one of my early guests on the show was a a preliminary wrestler named Broadway Sonny Blaze. Yes, everybody loved Broadway. And I'll tell you what, he told the story about being one of the first matches against The Undertaker. He said he he was so new, they had pins holding his costume together when he was in the ring. And he told a great story about them, you know, talking together and how they developed a friendship. That was one of my favorite moments on the show is to to learn about stuff like that, you know, because, you know, he he wrestled when he was so new. Like I said, his uniform wasn't finished yet. His costume was not done yet. Yep. So that that's the cool stuff that you can only learn. You know, sometimes it takes a prelim guy to have memories like that, you know? You know, Bob, I, I want to hear a story from you. You okay. told us, you, you've said that you were one of the first commentators of ECW. I want, I want to know your first impressions of ECW. Okay, when I was there in the beginning? Yeah, please. Okay. I want to hear it. This is this is a cool story. And, you know, I had Todd Gordon on to talk about it, too. Um, go back to Tri-State Wrestling. Joel Goodhart, yep. Right. But uh, one of his backers was, and always there, was Todd Gordon. Yep. It was a big show. I believe this was the show where it was a steel cage match with the Sheik versus Abdul the Butcher. And I, I'm there oh. early. I'm there early. 
So I'm kind of hanging in this area. It wasn't the locker room, but it was like an adjacent room to the locker room. And Todd right. Gordon is there. And he goes, you know, we just introduced each, ourselves to each other. And we sat down and I said, he said, do you, you know, do you like the, he said to me just out of the blue, he said, do you like the WWF? I said, yeah, but you know, psychology is all wrong. He goes, yeah. And we started to talk and talk and talk and talk. And after 10 minutes, it felt like I knew him for 20 years because we both felt that wrestling was becoming too homogenized and it was too, too gimmicky. You know, it was just the Duke, the dumpster and Matilda, the bulldog era. Okay. That was, that was the era where they were doing just jobs, right? Like, um, yeah. The yeah. goon, the dumpster, the, All the plumber. Stuff. Everybody yeah. was a yeah. very broad character. Todd didn't like that. He wanted to bring Memphis-style wrestling to the East Coast. That was his whole concept between, uh, I should call it, excuse me, Eastern Championship Wrestling, he called it in the beginning. At the time, yep. Yes. So I continued to follow, you know, Joel's thing until he went out of business promptly or, or surprisingly, he kind of vanished what, what, and there was no more what, no more tri-state correct me if i'm wrong was didn't he go on a business like one week before the buddy rogers buddy Landell I, don't know, match? I don't know if it was a week before but that they were selling tickets for it when mm. they, they decided to and pull the plug on the whole thing from reading a certain magazine that a certain friend of mine was the managing editor of i was excited to he, to see that match go down I was there at that press conference. I took those pictures that you saw. Yep. You know, it was okay. like I was yep. re- I was excited about it too. So anyway, this all blows over, and a little while later, Todd Gordon is forming Eastern Championship Wrestling, and he calls me, and he goes, "I got all these tapes. We did these tapes with. Uh, they had already started Eastern Championship Wrestling, but they didn't have TV. But they recorded right. tapes with Dick Graham doing play by play from who used to do Philadelphia WWF." Right, and he goes. I want. I want to. I want to do wraparounds on this new show idea I have for cable public access here in Philadelphia. And uh, it was called Channel Seven. Would you like to host the show? And I went. Why me? <laughs> Why well, he says I saw you on Savoldi's show doing some stuff. He looked pretty good. Why don't you give it a shot with us? So I was literally their first TV host. Right, right. You know, for for this little little show, we did interviews with the wrestlers and stuff like that, and we had a blast. It was great. Um, we did. I did several episodes in Philadelphia. I was taking the train Amtrak from from New York to Philadelphia every Saturday morning. We would do this. Did that for quite a while, and then he decided to try me out as a full blown announcer on the on for you know play by play. So I, I'm sitting there, and he had Stately Wayne Manor from Wrestling World Magazine as my color commentator. He was hilarious. He was great. I remember him. Yep, I remember him. Yep. And I, I we get through this long card, and Snooker was on it, and all these other stars were on it, and Koloff had a bloody chain match. It was it was pretty good. Ivan or Nikita? Uh, Ivan. Ivan, okay. Ivan, Ivan Koloff. But at the end of the thing, I pull my chair back, and I go, you ain't got it. I'm, I'm I'm saying to myself, you don't have it, man. You you don't have it. You, your voice is all wrong. I thought my voice was too high. I I didn't think I was, you know, more broadcasting than you know. I just didn't feel like I was the guy for the job. And then very rare does a person get that type of an opportunity and get critical about themselves. So I go to Todd after a couple of of these things, and I said, you know, you, I think you can do better than me. Not, no offense, I really appreciate the shot, but yeah, you can do better than me. So 
Cut to 30 years later. The WWE Network puts on in the they, remember they used to have a thing I think it was called Hidden Gems, a yeah, section in the yeah, old yeah. network. Yep, yep. And they so they made a videotape out of the matches that we called at the Chestnut Cabaret in Philadelphia for the earliest right. e- ECW. And I watched these matches and I go, it wasn't that bad. You're you have an amazing voice, my friend. You have an amazing no, voice. I'm watching. I go, it, it isn't that bad. I, and and you know we had funny banter because you know. Stately Wayne was kind of a heel commentator. We were arguing the whole time, and it flowed, and it worked, and it was way better than I thought it was going to be. And so I finally get Todd on the show to talk about his book when it was coming out. He goes, he said it was fine. He said, you did great. And I'm like, you know what, though? It wasn't all that long later, maybe eight, nine, ten months later, that Paul Heyman starts working for ECW, which is now East, you know, Extreme Championship. We're about to become Extreme Championship Wrestling. And Joey Styles was working at PWI doing articles for us at that point. And people don't realize that. At one point, I see them talking together. And they go into our conference room, which had glass all around it. And they were talking a mile a minute at each other. And I'm thinking to myself, Joey Styles is going to be the next announcer for Paul Heyman. And he was. You said that back in the the day? I, I turned around. I turned around after somebody said, look at them going in there. You know, they, they, they were they were so animated talking to each other. I, I could tell they were were bouncing concepts off each other. And I'm and then I'm like, oh, Joey was the right. Joey was the right. Oh, voice. he was born to do it. And I'll tell you what, um, he knew Joey is one of the most brilliant wrestling people that ever walked through that office while I was there. And I don't mean that to slight anybody I work with. Mm. I just saw the guy knew everything. Mm. He knew everything. And he had his own original style, and I've never been so happy to walk away from a job because the right guy finally got it, and it was Joey Styles. He was magnificent. He was a wrestling observer announcer of the year for many years, and you know what? Proof's in the pudding. I'm happy with the way things worked out. So that's does that answer your question? Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've talked about it on the show before, and you know what? Those were happy days. And you know what? I went and saw an ECW card after he had taken over. And they didn't know I was going to be there. They put me in a hotel room. Joey walks in. He goes, Bob, because he didn't. We didn't tell Joey I was going to be there. We we're going to bunk together for the night. And it was like old times. Joey's one of the nicest people I ever met. He's just a great guy. And to his credit, when it was time to walk away from the business, he walked away and never came back. Yeah, he had his reasons, and that was it. Hmm. That, that's it. I, I admire a guy like I, that's why I admire Cornette so much, Jim Cornette. Yep. When something oh, oh, stinks, when something stinks, he won't do it no matter what the money is. That's basically Jim Cornette. That's integrity, yep. my friends. That's yep. rare in this business. Jim Cornette could have collected a huge paycheck from Tony Khan. Could have could have been on his payroll for the first two or three years of AEW and walked away. Mm-hmm. That's that's respect. Jim Cornette won't do anything that isn't good. And the things he did that you wouldn't think he did, like, did I remember, I think it was the LWPA or Ladies Professor yeah, Wrestling Association, where he did commentary there. And I'm like, that was a great show, wasn't it? And why was yeah. it good? Because it had Jim Cornette on it. That's why it was a great show. And not to mention and, that the women were great, but that was the first serious women's wrestling promotion. It thank worked. You. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we, we had to swallow glow for all those years. And finally, we had something that had a serious tone to it with good don't, matches and good stars. It was excellent. 
Bob, don't you ever just besmirch the good goddamn name of Sally, the farmer's daughter. <laughs> I was 14. I was 14, Bob. She helped me come anime. You know, I, you know something? I hated Glow, but I loved Tina Ferrari. And by the way, what a hell of a talent she turned into. Yes, she did. What a hell of a talent she turned into. Miss Moretti is, is a Hall of Famer. Yep. Literally, and yep. she deserves to be because you know what she, she 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 went from the outhouse to the penthouse, and she deserved to. She had all the talent. In fact, I can tell you right now that when they were forming the LPWA, whatever it was called, I got a call from Ken Resnick, who was on that show, and he says, well, "You know, I got these Globe people. You know, with these people, you ever hear of Tina Ferrari?" I said, "Hire her." Yep. And I don't know if that had anything to do with her getting the job, but she did get the job. I just said, she, I just said she, 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 she was serious. Yeah. She was an athlete. She, she earned a legitimate every athlete. athlete. She, I was there the night she beat the fabulous. I was there in Providence the night she beat the fabulous Moolah for the women's title. She did? I didn't yes. realize this. Oh, was that when the old Moolah had the title for a few minutes? Is that right? Yes. Am I remembering yes. this right? Okay. I think okay. she. I think she won the title and the pre. Forgive me if I'm wrong. She won the title on the pre-show of the Royal Rumble, 2003, and the next night in Providence was at the was at Raw, and she loses to Ivory. Okay. All right. Good memory, I was there. my friend. I was at both but, of them. <laughs> but she was. She was an athlete. She was. She was stunning. She was yep. in such amazing physical shape. She was stunning. And, um, yeah, how could I avoid liking her? <laughs> so, you know, what can I tell you? I'm, I'm a guy. What can I say? My, bo- my old boss, may rest in peace, when Glow came to Providence, Rhode Island, he was assigned as Hollywood's bodyguard. He spent six hours in the limo with her, just taking her to and from all the clubs in Rhode Island. Until it was time to show up for the show, they did their show, and he took her back to the airport. Okay. Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, what, how do you feel about today's women's wrestling? I think it's awesome. I think the WWE uh, women are fantastic. What do you think? I'm going to say this right now. I think the best match I saw in 2023 was Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. My I match think of the year. Yes. The the women have have they exceeded the men? No. Are they equal to the men? Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um my if you if if I were to tell you my top ten favorite wrestlers in twenty twenty three, I guarantee you four of them are women. And I will tell you right now, Thunder Rosa, Bailey, um Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch. There's four right there that are my favorite today. They're amazing. Yeah, Thunder and Rosa inc- is great. Yeah. It's an and and God, and I remember Thunder Rosa as like the lackey in the NWA in 2019. She was Malin- she was Melina's like lackey back then. Five she- years later, she's yeah. incredible. No, she's fantastic. Um, best yet to come for her, I still think. Well, she's I a real so. athlete too. She's a legitimate yep. athlete. So she's done. She's done MMA. She could yeah. kick both of our 
she could kick both of our butts within 30 seconds. No so, question about that. Yeah. <laughs> no question. Yeah, but no, I think that um, I'm, I'm kind of proud of WWE for the way, you know, if you go back to the Attitude Era, women were, you know, sex bombs and all this other stuff. But now mm-hmm. they're equal with the men's. They're attractive, but that's because they're athletic and fit. You know, it's, yep. the sexuality has been stripped from it. And the fans have, have, have gravitated to the women's wrestling to the point where you can have it as a main event on a pay-per-view and nobody even looks sideways now. That's the way God, it is. And that's the way it should you, be. Do you recall the match last year between uh, Rhea Ripley and uh, Zelina Vega from yes. Puerto Rico? Great. Oh, my God. Bob, I was on a plane to Ireland when that match took place, and I remember cursing the damn airline we lost internet power. <laughs> Because it was amazing. It was a story. Holy yeah, crap. And how about how about the applause for Selena after the match? Oh, or Selena, God. I should say. And I'll tell you what, that's real. That wasn't scripted. That yep. was Bro- that was legit, legit, and that made it feel really good. It brought a, much like, much like when I went to Ric Flair's last match in Nashville, it brought a tear to my eye. Okay, let, let me ask you, you. Okay, I didn't know you were there. You see, yep. this fellow is everywhere, folks. Anthony has been everywhere and does everything. Let me ask I you about to, that match. Yep. What was your overall okay. feeling about that whole event? Okay, the uh, are we talking the event or the match? Both. The event was beautiful. I will say right now, Conrad Thompson, who I consider a quasi friend, did an amazing <laughs> did an amazing job promoting that show. Bob, if I could tell you the if I could tell you the stars we saw that night in the eleven match card, you, you'd freak out. We were talking New Japan, WWE, old WCW. I saw the Briscoe brothers versus the Von Erics. Mm-hmm. Okay, I saw Diana Perazzo, Rachel Ellering, and Taya Valkyrie in a three way. And yes, okay, let's get to the let's let's get to the main event. Right. Uh, was it a good match? No, no. It was Ric Flair's. Ric Flair was seventy-four years old. But was it something for me as a Ric Flair mark from nineteen eighty-two <laughs> to see him one last time in the ring? It did my heart so good. And by the way, the referee that called the pinfall, Dave, uh, Dave Miller, mm-hmm. friend of mine. So okay. one of the one of the tears I one of the tears I shed that night was for him because I know what a Ric Flair fan he was and he got to deliver the three count in the final match. The match was was it was it good? No, the match was not good whatsoever. But in 2022, Bob, I got to see my hero have one last moment in the sun. Mm-hmm. And you can't you you can't buy that you cannot buy that so so f you Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer for naming that worst match of 2022. I was there. There were tears shed because real fans understood what that night meant to us. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, let me let was, me ask you one question about the ahead. match, though. Go ahead. I think he went too far. I think he worked too hard. You think that a lot of what he did was necessary? You know what? It, I hate to say this. I, I this is going to be awful. Remember the movie The Wrestler? Yeah. Okay. We assume that Randy the Ram died in the ring. 
correct? Okay, that's that's a fair assumption, sure. If Flair if Flair would have died in the ring that night, he'd have been happy. And yes, I would have bawled my eyes out. I pro I probably would have driven to to Charlotte for his funeral. But there's a part of Anthony Pyrus that would have been thrilled that he died the way he wanted to. So if he went too far, good for him. If he went too far and tried to give the fans everything they could that he could give them, God bless him. I was I'm in his corner all the way. There you go. Well, that's a unique, unique perspective on a much talked about mm. match. I mean, uh, and oh, I will yeah. say, boy, what a success that was! Holy smokes! My very God, rare, were, very rare to put out something like that to have it go over the way it did. There were seven thousand people in the building that night, and a, a lot of my friends were backstage producing the show, and uh, it was it was it was magic. I know, and I know people crap on the match. F them. F everybody that complains <laughs> about it. But uh, it was for a fan like me, for a fan like me who was nine years old when he first saw the Ric Flair versus the Von Erichs and Ric Flair versus Harley Race on TBS. It meant everything to me. It meant everything to me. There so you go. I, was so I was thrilled to be there. There you go. I'm very heartening to hear something like that. Hmm. Now, let's talk about you a little bit. You're, uh, from what I see of you, you're a great family guy. You're yep. great. You're, you're great in your community. The rest of the community loves you. Uh, I'm sure the Patriots love you. You know, <laughs> just down yeah. the line. And you're My also boy. you're also very funny, as as evidenced by the audio clip I played of you doing Joe McHugh. So. Uh, you know what? Um, I know how much I know you and I. Joe McHugh means a lot to you and me both. And I yeah. did one hell of a Joe McHugh impersonation back when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So when when I met you and I start following, I'm like I got to do something for Bob. So I've got to do Joe McHugh. Well, I'll tell so you I what. Did that, I did interviewing that him you. on TV ranks is one of my great moments. In fact, if. It hadn't even been on television. Just talking to him ranks mm -hmm. as one of my great moments because that was the voice of our childhoods, right? Yep. Oh, God. You know what? It, to me, Joe, my, my, my Mount Rushmore of ring announcers are Joe McHugh, obviously Howard Finkel, Truck and Tom Miller, and I hate to say it, Mark Lawrence back from World Class Championship Wrestling. Yes. Joe, I Joe agree. Joe McHugh. Yep. Mark Lawrence is the most underrated guy. He did a call once for Abdullah the Butcher versus Bruce Brody. It's one of the greatest TV matches I've ever heard announced just for his. Do you know the match I'm talking about? I don't, no, I don't know. They're about running that. all over the place and they go behind the door and they and then he comes out with a club beating him. And it, when, it ended up in a, in a, you know, obviously a double DQ. Gary Hart well, was involved. The Unbelievably one time. great job. The one time World Class Championship Wrestling came to Providence, Rhode Island, I was there, yeah. obviously. Bruiser versus Abdullah. I was in section like 201, and there were maybe 500 people there. They fought right next to me. Wow. And I took my, I took my World Class program, and I touched Abdullah's head. So somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in my garage, there was a World Class program with Abdullah's blood on it. Yeah, people don't. Yeah, it's a, I'm glad you made that point because people don't realize. For a while, world class was up on the East Coast. God, they were being shown. Yes. They were shown in Albany, and I went to Albany, New York, and saw a card yep. there. 
if and the, world, one of the main yep. events was Abby versus uh, Kevin Von Erich. If World Class had come to Providence two years earlier than it was sold the place out, they could have kept coming month after month after month. But unfortunately, they pulled the trigger too late and came here after the deaths. When Mike Von Erich was out sick, David Henry died, Kerry mm-hmm. had had his accident. The only Von Erich I saw was Kevin against the Dingo Warrior. <coughs> that's right. Imagine started, that. Dingo started as a heel. That's right. Yep. Um, Kevin Von Erich versus the Dingo. The main event, Chris Adams versus Rick Root. How'd you feel about the Iron Claw? Oh, it was, you know, I was able, I knew going in that it was going to be not true to the timeline. And Bob, I'm sure you and I both know the timeline. Like We know the timeline. It wasn't even close to the timeline. What, Kerry, folks, Kerry Von Erich did not lose his foot the night he won the world title. But what a, what a sad story. Yeah. What a, what a beautifully done movie. But what yes. a sad story. You see, here's it the was, thing, too. I, I take issue with certain wrestling fans who were expecting imitations of the wrestlers. I don't think it was necessary. You know, oh, Kerry's too short. Oh, um, Ke- oh, Kevin is too muscular. Oh, the Ric Flair sucks. He doesn't look like Ric Flair. He doesn't sound like him. Folks, nobody looks and sounds like Ric Flair. You, you, you could not cast Ric Flair. Oh, who the hell could be Ric Flair besides Ric Flair? That's exactly right. It's the point I'm making. This wasn't this wasn't a recreation of history. It was mm. a dramatic depiction of of the lives of real human beings. That was the Twice. the intent on this movie. Twice, I thought it was Bob, a fantastic movie. Of course you did. Cry. I cried twice when David died at the very end. Yeah, because bear in mind, eleven year old me, I was watching World Class. The morning in February 1984, when Bill Mercer came on saying, today is not going to be a regular show, folks. This is going to be a tribute to the life of David Viner. And stupid me, 11-year-old me thought it was a story. I didn't believe it. It Mm -hmm. wasn't until two weeks later that I called, I literally called news stations in Texas. Now, bear in mind, this was 1984. You had to hit you had to hit four one one and ask for like, hey Dallas, can I have a a news station up there? I literally had eleven year old me talk to a reporter up in Dallas, Texas, who confirmed David von Erich's I didn't think it was real, and I bawled my eyes out back then. I bawled my eyes out twice during the Iron Claw. Well, there's the thing. It, it's a movie, like I say, not a recreation. And I thought they did a great job with the wrestling in the film. It looked real. It looked like a real wrestling matches. I, I love the way that they uh, would show the same fonts that they used to mm-hmm. show in the world-class show. And yeah. it, it looked yeah. like the Sportatorium. It, they did a great job yeah. recreating the Sportatorium and so on and so forth. Um, I thought it was a very fine movie. Uh, I understand why they cut things out. I don't agree with a couple of the cuts. How how Chris Von Eric doesn't even get mentioned is beyond me. I I don't get that. Well, I, I mean, they I didn't heard... have to feature him, but but by the same token, how can you leave it out entirely? I just don't get it. For the purpose of a two hour movie, it's almost too much for a for it's almost too much for a for a movie goer to bear. Four sons, three sons died in the movie. Mm-hmm. For a fourth diet, it might have been just too much. 
But that's what I think that's what the director mm. was thinking about it too, and the producers. Mm. But I will say mm. this to see Kevin Von Erich with his sons mm-hmm. and his life now in Hawaii, he seems happy, he seems well adjusted. That's the end result. He he was able to shrug off all these horrible things and rebuild his life, and that's the end of the film. And if you look at if you know anything about Kevin, Not- I think that's his life. Isn't that great? And the part that killed me was that last line. Right. For my whole life, I was a, I had five brothers. Now I'm not even a brother. How does it not get that, to you? If that does not choke, at least choke you up. And that mm-hmm. made 51-year-old Anthony, who watched World Class, that made me pull my ass up, buddy. Right. I, I, again, I think it was a fine film. Uh, and if some wrestling fans take issue with the, you know, the, you know, the things that were omitted and the timelines, I understand that too. But for me, it was well worth seeing. I'll tell you that much. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're well worth knowing, my friend. Um, tell people how they can find you on what? the interwebs and social media and whatnot. Find me at Facebook. I'm, a, I'm known as Anthony Pyrus on Facebook. Spell Pyrus. I'm- P as in Peter, I, R as in Robert, E, S as in Sam, Anthony Pyrus, P-I-R-E-S, the only Anthony Pyrus you will find on Facebook, rather the only Anthony Pyrus worth worth talking to on Twitter, <laughs> or Twitter slash X, or as Eric Bischoff calls it, Twix. I am at, under, <laughs> I am at, at Hoboken underscore cobbler, or that's Mr. Porky to you. I love talking wrestling. I love talking Patriots. I love talking music. And uh, that's all That's all my social media right now. But if you want to support me, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Go to PW Insider, the PW Insider page, and buy the AEW official post-show party t-shirt. Me and Corey Strode, every Wednesday at midnight, we break down AEW Dynamite. Like only real men can. I will tell you this right now, my friend. As a thank you to you for coming on my meager little podcast, I'm buying a t-shirt. Yes! I am telling yes! you, I'm buying a t-shirt. And when I tell you something, you can take it to the bank, right? Because I, I bought a, <laughs> I bought a Scotty Richardson t-shirt from Wrestler Weekly. Yep. And he said, you really bought it? I said, it, and then I showed it to him. He goes, oh my God, you did it. So I'm um, buying your t-shirt. You know, I've seen my, the shirt. It's funny. The shirt's as funny can- as you are. So I need, I need to own this. When can I buy a Bob Smith t-shirt? You know, you know something? I was gifted two double X size outdated wrestling hour t-shirts with the logo on that you right, see right. When, you, when you tune in on the front. And I'm considering selling them at Pro Wrestling Tees myself. Because men, I, I, a little PSA, men, I know there's Viagra out there. I know there's female <laughs> Viagra. But if you, if you wear a t-shirt... With Bob Smith's face on it, your wives will find you sexier and more desirable. You will score more than Wayne Gretzky in 1982. Telling you right now. If you wear a t-shirt with Bob Smith's face on it, it's it's a female repellent, my friends. Don't believe a thing he's saying. (laughs) This is like raid for dating. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's it's like a mousetrap. You you oh just don't don't even consider wearing it as in, in mixed public. My goodness, what are you thinking, Anthony? <laughs> I want to buy this shirt, damn it. <laughs> we'll see if I can if I can mass produce these. <laughs>
The whole idea makes me laugh. And you know what? Another thing I don't particularly like, I went on YouTube with this podcast. I just threw it there because I had an opportunity to put it on there, right? Right, So the audio show is on there. And unlike Jim Cornette, who I love the little Travis's art on the beginning. Travis Travis is the best, right? So I can't do that either. I don't want to cop somebody (laughs) else's idea. So I just put our placard on there. Bang. The same thing you see when you're – I can't imagine somebody enjoying it with my face staring at them for the whole ninety I, minutes of the show. It's like, ugh. I love the Bob Smith face. God, uh, come on, man. Hey, for my age, I'm doing all right, you know. You but and then, me both. Then again, for, for my for age. age. <laughs> I mean, I'm older than Brill Cream, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's just there's not much left here. I have a problem with my left foot now. I have some kind of a, a pronation in my left foot, and I'm limping around. I've had a walking boot on recently and stuff. So What's it's just up? the old man aches and pains are coming in, man. It's it's tough. You played, you played music with BB King. How many yes. people can say that? Well, that's a good point. I again, you know what? I've never been rich, but I've had a charm life, man. You know why? Because I've you had good both. people in my life and I've had great experiences. And one of my favorite wrestling experiences of the last two years in podcasting is meeting you, my friend. I'm serious. Oh. I Bob, value your friendship. We're going to have to get together in real time sometime because it's like the, the we need to I'm do ta- this. The fact that I'm talking to the managing editor of my childhood is freakish to me. So, Bob, I love you. And I say hello to all the listeners. Subscribe. Subscribe. Leave those five-star reviews because Bob Smith is worth every moment of your time. Uh, thank you. Your your money orders in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Only an old man would say money order. <laughs> right? Right? I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sending it to you on my phone. I, I need a money order. I got to go to Walmart and buy money order to give you 50 bucks. The three, kids, the three kids listening is like, what's a money order? <laughs> oh, I had Kimmy. I had I had Kimmy Soko there. I was joking with her. I said, you know, we used to have to put our finger in a dial to make a phone call. And each number, we'd have to spin it. I was actually explaining it. She's looking at me with saucer eyes going, really? <laughs> if you talk to Kimmy before I do, please tell her how much I love her work. Yes. You know what? She's going to be a big deal, isn't she? Yep. She I, is. She's going to be a she, big deal in wrestling. She filled in for me and Corey when we were both at uh, out of out of commission for a, a dynamite. She did amazing. She does the uh, Ring of Honor report. She's she's great. Love her. She's a natural. You know why she's a natural? Because she loves it the same way you and I did when we were 11 years old discovering this stuff, right? <laughs> and I still love it like I did when I was 11. <laughs> I love. I like hearing it. It's great. Ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Pyrus, he's one of a kind, the one and only. Thank you for being here again. And you come back soon? Oh, God. I'll be back next week if you want me. <laughs> <laughs> I might need you. <laughs> Stay by your phone. <laughs> Any, Bob, anytime you want me, I'm here to talk right. whatever. You got it, man. Ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Pyrus. Okay, everybody, before we begin our usual end of week pleasantries, I just want to make note of the fact that uh, last fall I warned people that every so often I would take a week off. Not often. Just when things get really hairy on this end and we record a whole mess of shows in a small amount of time, leaving me uh, spent, as it were. (laughs) So in this case, we are going to take next week off. We will have no show on the 23rd of February. We will be back hale and hearty on March 1st. So don't think there's anything wrong. We're just taking one week hiatus on the 23rd of February. We will be back. 
bright and bushy tailed <laughs> on March 1st. So please join us again at that time. I told you that was going to be kind of ginchy, right? <laughs> well, that's Anthony Powers. He, he's a gad about. You'll find him. Just go look for him. He's doing a whole mess of stuff, and uh, he's nothing but fun. Nothing but a pure pleasure of a guy. Um, I do want to meet him in person. I want to meet him face-to-face, and we'll share a beer and uh, just discuss the old days. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but in any event, um, that's our show for this time. We got a lot of special stuff coming up in the weeks ahead. First, let's 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 roll the credits. Our theme song. Hold on a sec. Performed by the great guitarist Brian Teo. If you want to write to us about the meanderings of this wonderful podcast, outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. Our official website is outdated wrestling. Dot. Buzzsprout. Dot. Com. Where for a nominal fee, you can join the Outdated Wrestling Hour fan club, which will help perpetuate the show, allow you to participate in Zoom and other meetings that we have, uh, maybe even win a valuable prize while you do that, and be first to know all the news and stuff. And I'm actually thinking of putting out some content for our fan club members. So look forward to that. We have a really special couple of shows coming up. I don't, but in any event, this is the Outdated Wrestling Hour. We hope you're having fun. Uh, things have been going so good here. I want to thank each and every one of you for, I don't know, from October on, things are really going great. It's been going great from the beginning, but just the last few months have been absolutely spectacular for all of us here who work so hard to put this out. So in any event, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for well, every listener that we have, and if you like it, tell your friends. I, I still believe in that. Just tell your just tell a pal. I, I didn't say go on social media. Just walk up to them and say, hey, have you heard this show? I still think word of mouth is key to anything. So if you enjoy it, let your pals know. F- fellow veteran fans, you'll get some information here and some memories I don't think you'll find anywhere else. I want you to listen to other podcasts, but I hope you come back to this one. My name's Bob Smith. I used to be with Pro Wrestling Illustrated and all those wrestling magazines. Thanks again. And as we segue into uh, the second month of uh, 2024, I wish you continued peace, happiness, prosperity, and all the good stuff. You hear? Mm-hmm.